Good morning. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God and Father, you are the high and holy one who inhabits eternity and dwells in inapproachable light. Holy and glorious Father, look down from your heavenly throne upon us sinful creatures and have mercy upon us. According to the multitude of your mercies, blot out all of our transgressions for Christ's sake. Write your law in our hearts and put your fear into our minds so that we may never depart from you all the days of our lives. Grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we might mature and become more like Christ, dying to our lust and governing our passions so that our whole life might glorify you. May this be present and seen in all of our relationships, including our marriages and families. Move us toward all that is good and keep us from all evil. Help us to live faithful lives and to have consciences which are void of offense toward others and toward you, that we might love you with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our strength and might love our neighbors as ourselves, so that whatever we desire that men should do to us, we might do likewise to them. O Lord, make us aware of our own frailty of the shortness and uncertainty of this life, and of the eternity that awaits us. Father, let your ways be known upon all the earth and your saving health among all nations. Pity and relieve the miseries and afflictions of men through the gospel of Christ. Bless your church that she might reform whatever you see to be amiss in the belief and lives of Christians and grant that all those who profess your name may adorn the gospel. Regarding this nation, we seek your mercy for our great sins. Grant us a spirit of repentance that we might be spared the full weight of the judgments which our sins justly deserve. We especially pray for your blessings upon our national, state, and local leaders so that they might seek your face and humbly call upon your wisdom and power in these times of pandemic. Bring down the proud and lift up the humble so that their government might be a public blessing and that the gospel might advance during these times of stress. You, O Lord, are the all-wise God who governs all the affairs of the world. Turn the hearts of our leaders so that they might show favor toward your worship. Grant great wisdom and courage to the leaders of the church. Make them faithful to that trust which you've committed unto them and grant that by their diligent labors they might act with both shrewdness and care. Thank you for those who are serving in a multitude of ways to care for the sick and dying. Give them strength and safety. In the midst of all the physical threats, may we find peace in you, and may we all serve by showing love to our neighbors, doing good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. And now, O Lord, bless us, your unworthy servants, who are assembled together in your name. Be present in the midst of us and assist us in the work and service you have called us to. Grant that those truths which shall be delivered to us out of your word may have a deep effect and influence upon our hearts and lives, all for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose holy name we pray. Amen. This morning, I am grateful to have Elder David Alders in the pulpit, and so he will be bringing the word to us this morning. David. Please stand for the reading of our text. 
which is Proverbs 4, verses 1 through 9. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let us bow and pray. Our Father, we rejoice that you have not left us without instruction, nor cast us adrift in this world without a reliable and true guide. After he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, your son, our Lord, told his disciples that the words he speaks are spirit and life. We believe this is absolutely so. And thus we ask you to powerfully work in us today to clarify and deepen our knowledge of you and also of ourselves in the light of your word. Give us wisdom and understanding, we pray. For we come in Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Perhaps because this is the season of graduations and granting degrees and transitions from youthfulness to greater degrees of independence, or perhaps because I'm in the final year of my 50s, which will wrap up my sixth decade on this orb, My mind has been preoccupied of late by the topic of wisdom and how often it is lost on youth and how difficult it is for youth to recognize wisdom, understanding, and true perspective. This rambling essay, uh, which I call a sermon, is an effort to shine a light in that direction. Several of my children and I recall a high-altitude hike in Colorado many years ago in which the last leg consisted of crossing through a wide and very long brush-choked meadow of Tolkienesque proportions. It had been frequently traversed only by wandering and browsing elk, which seemed to have had no predetermined destination. Certainly not the above Timberline Lake, ironically named Devil's Lake, for which we were headed. We entered the meadow thinking that we'd be through it very shortly, envisioning the near horizon we had in view to be the end of the meadow, beyond which there would be a short scramble down a stony slope to the bucolic mountain lake, beside which we would lay down our backpacks and following a sumptuous meal of rehydrated powder, our weary bodies and happy souls in goose-down sleeping bags. It was not to be that simple. Regarding the sumptuous meal, had it not been for bad taste, there would have been no taste at all. And regarding the meadow of doom that preceded that meal, the problem was that there was no reliable path 
through the thicket of waist-high tangled brush. Only those paths of meandering mammals who were made for that world. And the horizon, beyond which we could see only sky, kept extending itself as we gained additional altitude and perspective at the expense of our ebbing energy and patience. This went on for hours, it seemed, before the actual meadow's end reconciled with the vision of our own lying eyes. Coming into the meadow, our perspective had been badly flawed, but as the slog continued and we could see no recourse, we gradually gained sharper perspective by putting one foot in front of the other in that maze of almost impenetrable scrub. My online dictionary defines perspective as, and I quote, the capacity to view things in their true relations and relative importance. But gaining the capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance is often a rough path, littered with mistakes and sometimes regrets. Perspective is hard-earned for human beings. It is acquired in fits and starts along the course of a lifelong providentially planned scavenger hunt in which the final item to be secured is sanctification and by which time that last item is located you could not care less who was the winner perspective is at the end of an unavoidable and god-appointed path of the sinful and stupid category of humanity whom we classify as parents if you suspect my taxonomy to be amiss then i suggest you ask a proximate authority, by which, of course, I mean your children. Children who are brought up in a particular environment know well the sins of their fathers, but their perception of their own sins of commission and omission is quite dim. They are in the first few miles of, life, of life's marathon, and they cannot yet see that their bravado and swagger in the second mile will disappear before the finish line appears, and largely and likely will sorely tax them in the 22nd mile. They have not yet earned perspective. Of course, age does not guarantee true perspective in that it is true that there is no fool like an old fool. But still, I think we can say that it is unlikely that perspective has been attained. If your barber doesn't trim your ears and eyebrows, your nights are not repeatedly interrupted by bathroom visits, and you've not learned to enjoy brand flakes for dinner. Now, my point today is not to either demean children nor esteem their parents and grandparents, although God does command the latter. My point is that we are all, from the youngest to the oldest, children in the truest sense. And we have as our Father one who is wholly righteous and wise and loving and kind and yet, we chafe against his commandments and judgments because we lack his perspective, a perspective that is not bound by time or space, but is eternal and all-encompassing, a perspective that is not subject to development or new learning because he already knows everything without any mediation. And because he is the fount of true knowledge and wisdom, which is another word for perspective. He does know what is best concerning us and our relations to all things and the truly wonderful news 
is that he has revealed this to us. In our text today, Solomon says that wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. But how do we get wisdom? It is not available on Amazon.com, though we might pick up bits and pieces by looking around at Walmart. The first step in laying hold of wisdom or understanding or perspective is the recognition that there is a distinction between creature and creator. In other words, we live in a world that we didn't make. And inasmuch as we didn't make it, and it has continued to successfully exist for millennia before we came along, it is certain that it neither revolves around us nor adjusts according to our whims. We see a basic misunderstanding of this truth, especially in babies who perceive that every other person exists to serve them. And they let us know when we don't. Consistent, loving, parental discipline of our children is the only God-approved way out of this swamp of self-centeredness. Unless and until we gain an understanding of our relationship to the world, to others, and especially to God, we cannot escape this swamp and its terrors, which are far more sinister and dangerous than flame spurts, lightning sands, and rodents of unusual size. We cannot become the princess bride of Christ in that swamp. As children work through the fire swamp that is a recalibration of the identity of around whom the world revolves, they tend to look at their parents' judgments with a critical eye, thinking to themselves that when they get the opportunity to rear children and direct a household, they will do it right. And we all, being children in relation to God, so are we tempted to at least second-guess God if not put him on trial for malpractice as an all-good and all-powerful God. If the world and history were of our making, it would not be characterized by so much conflict, pain, and suffering. There would be no coronavirus in our world, no hurricanes or tornadoes, no severe summer heat, nor bitter winter cold, no exploitation of man or beast. I think we had build the world a home and furnish it with love, grow apple trees and honeybees and snow-white turtle doves. We tend to think we would not be so harsh or doctrinaire as God, but when it comes to ordering society so as to contain a virus, well, turns out we can be pretty doctrinaire. Our modern sensibilities run head-on into the impregnable wall of God's word, not once, but continually, eventually gaining ourselves more experience with whiplash than a crash test dummy. But the wall of God's word is not dented in the least by the impact of modern sensibilities. In that word, we discover perspective. We learn who we are in relation to everything and everyone else, who God is, and how we have fallen out of favor with him who made us, and everything and everyone else what he has done to reconcile us to himself, and what we must do in response to what he has done. This message seems so simple, doesn't it? But the problem for prideful men is that it requires us to utterly capitulate 
to admit that we're a mess and the world of our making would have been an unmitigated disaster. This message demands that we fall at the feet of the Savior and say with a contrite tax collector, God have mercy on me, a sinner. This is the fear of the Lord, and it is the beginning of wisdom. Paul wrote the Corinthians that this message, this message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So which will it be for us? It is a binary choice. We are either all in or not. We are either perishing or being saved. In truth, when God coded the world, he did not invite any of us to collaborate. Paul continues in that first chapter of 1 Corinthians, writing that this message of Christ's crucifixion is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those who are called, of both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power and wisdom of God. And what is more, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If we accept Paul's argument, which I highly recommend. Our logical position vis-a-vis God is to shut up and listen, to listen and submit to the message of the cross. We find an excellent description of man's relationship to God in the almost 400-year-old Westminster Confession of Faith and associated catechisms that we have recognized from its founding as our church's standard for the doctrine of Holy Scripture. In the larger of these two catechisms, which these theologians of Scotland, Ireland, and England drafted, they ask in question 13, what hath God especially decreed concerning angels and men? And they answered, God, by an eternal and immutable decree, out of his mere love, for the praise of his glorious grace to be manifested in due time, hath elected some angels to glory. And in Christ hath chosen some men to eternal life, and the means thereof, and also according to his sovereign power and the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth favor as he pleases, hath passed by and foreordained the rest to dishonor and wrath, to be for their sin inflicted, to the praise of the glory of his justice." It would be an understatement to say that this is not a popular notion in our nation. To borrow again from the Princess Bride, it is inconceivable that a UN Commission on Justice would ever have approved a statement such as this. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And if we want true perspective and wisdom and understanding, we must know first where we stand and before whom we stand. Exploring this point further in chapter 6 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, we read of the fall of man, of sin, and of the punishment thereof. Specifically, that chapter tells us that our first parents sinned in eating the forbidden fruit, and that God permitted it, having purpose to order it to his own glory. 
Thus did our parents, our first parents, fall from original righteousness and communion with God and become dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. This sin, with its death and corrupted nature, was imputed to all of us who descended from them by ordinary reproduction. And as a result, we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good and wholly inclined to all evil. And what is more, this corruption of our nature remains during this life in those who are regenerated. And although this sinful nature is through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and all the notion, all the motions of it are truly and properly sin. And every sin, whether original through Adam or actual by us, being a transgression of God's righteous law, does bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and the curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. As Pastor Booth would say, this is what's wrong with the world. Regarding these temporal and eternal miseries, the divines drilled down in greater detail in question 28 of the larger catechism. There they posed the question, what are the punishment or the punishments of sin in this world? And their answer was, the punishments of sin in this world are either inward, as blindness of mind, a reprobate sense, strong delusions, hardness of heart, horror of conscience, and vile affections, or outward, as the curse of God upon the creatures for our sakes, and all other evils that befall us in our bodies, estates, relations, and employments, together with death itself. End quote. In question 29, they took up eternal miseries, asking what are the punishments of sin in the world to come? And they answered, and I quote, the punishments of sin in the world to come are everlasting separation from the comfortable presence of God and most grievous torments in soul and body without intermission in hell fire forever. End quote. Living in a world wherein people really do not believe in hell and who think hell is a bare supermarket shelf in the paper goods aisle or two months separation from their favorite restaurants, sporting events, and live music venues or slow Wi-Fi, we desperately need our spiritual compasses to be recalibrated. We need to reorient our perspective. We need understanding the wisdom of God, knowing full well that this will look and sound like foolishness to the world that we want to impress and in which we want fiercely to remain relevant. But facts are facts, and real facts are God-breathed. We live in his world, and he gets to make the rules. He is the only landlord in all of creation, and he has written the lease on our life, both temporal and eternal. Indeed, he has already filled in the date of its temporal termination. We need not worry over negotiating an, op an option or even 
a month-to-month extension. Understanding our position, we need to be very careful about declarations that sound like, that's just not fair. Indeed, is that not fair? It is unimaginable that people with our resume and spiritual rap sheet get to experience all the blessings that are common to men in this world. Inconceivable, some might say. There is an air-conditioned Kroger and milk in the refrigerated cases inside and Costa Rican coffee and Bordeaux cookies in their places, all supplied by a system that rewards people for benefiting their neighbors. Even for the many who don't experience the prosperity of American capitalism, there is the warm sun and the rich soil and the range of temperature that accompanies human life. And just that precise gaseous chemical cocktail which man is made to breathe and that also amazingly supports such diverse living organisms as all the plants and animals we see. All this, like the life-giving rain, falls on saint and sinner alike, on the just and the unjust. But best of all, for those who belong to him and who quite willingly bear the reproach of that affiliation, God has, as the Westminster Divines wrote, not left us to perish in the estate of sin and misery, but of his mere love and mercy. He has delivered his elect out of it and has brought us into an estate of salvation by the covenant of grace, which was made with Christ as the second Adam and in him with all the elect as his seed. This grace of God is manifested in his having freely provided and offered to sinners a mediator and life and salvation by him and requiring faith as the condition to interest them in him. And he has promised and given his Holy Spirit to all his elect to work in them that faith and all other saving graces and to enable them to obey as the evidence of the truth of their faith. And thankfulness to God. It is vital that we judge ourselves rightly. As well as our true relationship with God. Lest we be judged. The mirror provides a woefully inadequate guide. Earlier I referred to Proverbs 9.10 where we read. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When the glory of God was revealed to Isaiah, he saw also his own standing in relationship to the resplendent holiness of God. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the path of wisdom and true understanding. It is not a path of presumption by which we seek to educate God or dictate to his appointed authorities. It is the path of humble reverence and gratitude, which are infrequently modeled on Instagram. But this is the path that leads to authentic honor, to the ornament of grace on your head, and to a true crown of glory, which wisdom delivers to those who embrace her. 
And so understanding where we stand in relation to him and everyone and everything else, we will shortly gather around his supper table, though perhaps not today for those who are watching this recording. The bread and the cup that we will share there are nourishing to those who hunger and thirst for them, who understand their own brokenness and their need for the broken body and spilt blood of the Savior. Having been washed and cleansed and reconciled to the master of this feast, let us prepare our hearts to receive his blessing and let us give thanks. Pray with me. Our Father, we are eternally grateful that you have not left us to perish in the estate of sin and misery, but of your mere love and mercy you have delivered us out of it and have pardoned us of both our sinful nature and the many actual transgressions that we have committed against you and our neighbors in our self-centered folly. Thank you for the mediator, Jesus Christ, and for life and salvation by him and for the faith in him that you have authored in our hearts. Thank you for the Holy Spirit which you have given to us to work in us that faith in all other saving graces by which we are enabled to obey and serve you and our neighbors. Grant us wisdom that we might know our standing, our position relative to you and all things else and preserve us from the deep darkness and foolishness of human pride. We pray confidently because we come in your beloved Son, our Savior. And amen.